Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Turn back to the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 45 this morning. I want to read to you in just a moment. Genesis 45, uh, chapter 45, verses 1 through 8. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 8. We're actually looking at uh, several chapters of Scripture this morning. We ended our, our story last week with Genesis chapter 42, so we're actually going to be looking at chapters 43, 44, and 45. It's a lot, I know, but I, I want to, to tell you the whole story because we are really at the climactic moment of this story, and I just didn't want to break it up. I wanted you to hear the whole story and then, and then how it applies. So go ahead and take your Bibles, find Genesis 45, verses 1 through 8. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay, because in the seat before you, you should find a copy of the Bible. Grab that copy of the Bible and find Genesis with us. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, very easy to find. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it, and learn about the God that loves you. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8. We'll read that together in just a moment. So when Stacy and I and our boys, when we were in New Orleans over the Christmas break, I guess that's really when, when Omicron started to really take off, right? And so, so uh, it was hit. New Orleans pretty hard then and, and and so I would get up most mornings and I would go out and I would run like I normally do and and Stacy's parents they, they live in Metairie which is about 10 minutes or 15 minutes from downtown New Orleans it's a, a suburb but it's still a pretty urban area and so they live um, you know right next to like a Barnes and Noble and a Best Buy so it's a really populated area and right down the street from them about a, a half mile or so from their house is one of those COVID testing sites and so I got up in the morning and I would run and I and, and like six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning, every morning we were there, you would see the cars just already backed up. And, and those cars, we ba- I promise you, it was at least half a mile that those cars were backed up. And, and as we went through the course of the day, every day while we were there, like that, that line just kept growing and growing from morning till evening. And it was just lined up, people getting COVID tests. And you know, that's just what it was. And we came back here. And, and now this past week, Luke was exposed at school to someone directly. So he had to come home and couldn't go back until he had a negative test. And so we were in in that process of trying to find a place uh, to test Luke for COVID. And I don't know if you've been there, if you've had to do that. It's the first time we've had to get tested over the course of this pandemic. And so, so the, the school nurse told Stacy to call his pediatrician to see if uh, they could find a place or what they were doing with, with COVID test. And, and so Stacy called Luke's pediatrician um, and, and it, it got one of those, those, you know, answering services that said, you are number 40 in line to talk like wow that's big so she waited on the phone forever and was finally after we did some research looking around was finally able to get a, a test down in hand to hand somewhere that was connected to that office whatever and and so so you know but just the, the amount of time we spent to try to find a place 
to get tested. And then he comes up positive. And, and like you, for some of you in this room, you've gone through this and you've tested positive, you've gotten through it, but, but you, ha- you have to shut your whole world down for a few days. And that was kind of weird and different to shut our whole world down, especially when, when Luke seemed absolutely fine, like no symptoms whatsoever. I know we got a piece of paper that says he has COVID, but he's been absolutely fine. So to shut our world down just seemed kind of odd, but we did because that's what you're supposed to do. And then for me to try to find a test on Friday morning because I wanted to be here to preach today and then that whole process. And then Luke, you know, he, he, he gets to go back to school on Tuesday uh, because the, the, the rules change like every day and now it's five days instead of 10 days or whatever it is. He gets to go back to school on Tuesday. But Hudson, who he tested him the same time Luke got tested, he tested negative. So he didn't test for COVID, but because he's been in the home with Luke who tested positive for COVID, he can't go back to school until the 24th of January because he might get COVID. Like the logic is just dumbfounding, right? It just makes not a lot of sense, but that's just the rules and that's what we're doing. And, and if you're like me, I mean, over the course of this, some of you've walked through this and you've gotten COVID and you've gotten sick or you've gone through the process, you tested positive, but you showed no symptoms, whatever. We've all said at some point or the other over the last two years, I can't wait for life to get back to normal. Can I tell you something? It ain't getting back normal. We've been trying to flatten the curve now for almost three years, right? It was supposed to be 14 days. Well, here we are. And so, so I'm just telling you, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but, 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 but it might not. Life might never get back to the normal we once experienced back in 2019. Now, I know you came to church to hear that this morning. That's encouraging, right? But, but I bet you, I bet you, over the course of the time that Joseph was in Egypt as a slave in Potiphar's house or, or, or in a prison when he was falsely accused of sexual misconduct, I bet you there were many days that Joseph said, I can't wait for life to get back to normal. And you know what we find out in Joseph's life? It never got back to normal. When he left Canaan, when he left his father's home uh, years earlier, he left not knowing that he would never see his homeland again, that he would die in Egypt. He would never go back to normal. In fact, he would not ever have guessed how his life would have turned out. He would never go back to normal. You know who else life in Scripture never went back to normal? The Apostle Paul. He spent lots of time in prison and he would end up dying a martyr for his faith. But, but in a prison, while he was prisoned in Rome, he writes to the church at Philippi and he says these words in Philippians chapter four. I have, I have learned the secret of contentment. Life's never getting back to normal for me, but I know how to be content. Now, Joseph didn't say that specifically but I bet you he would have said the same thing. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph essentially says, life has not turned out the way I wanted. It's not normal, but I'm content. And so the question for you and the question for me, if life never gets back to normal, can we be content? If life never gets back to what we want it to be or what we think it should be, can we be content? Oh, you certainly can. Because contentment is not found in your circumstances. 
Contentment isn't found, right? And, and the way that your life turns out, contentment, my friend, real contentment, lasting contentment, real contentment is always found inside a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you know Jesus, you can be content regardless of your circumstances. So here's the question I want to ask you. As we continue to go through a, just a crazy time in our lives and in our world, are you content? And as we walk through this story today, I want to show you from this story, I want to show you three ways, three ways you can know, three ways you can know if you're content or not. Three ways you can know if you're content or not from this story we're looking at this morning. So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold in the Egypt. And now you don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine was, uh, has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for time together in your word. And, and what a glorious thought to think that right now, in this moment, as we open up your word, the Bible, as we read and study, the glorious thought that right now you, the God of all creation, the one who, 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 who put the stars in the sky, the one who knows the number of hairs on our head, uh, the one who spoke all of creation into existence by the power of your voice. You are speaking to us. And so, Father, I pray that in this moment you would help us not to miss what you are saying. Help us to pay attention this morning. Help us to sit up straight, to, 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 to look at your word together, to, to just to, to, to hang on to every word that you're saying to us this morning because we want to hear your voice. And as we hear your voice, we want your spirit to change us, to bring us into conformity with your will. So Father, as we listen, we listen with hearts that are open, ready to receive your, your word this morning. We listen with hearts that are, that are eager to obey your voice. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So just, just to remind you of the story, we looked at Genesis chapter 42 last week and, and the, the, the reuniting of Joseph and his brothers. They were hungry. They knew there was food in Egypt and so they made their way to Egypt and they were brought face to face with Joseph. Only they didn't know it was Joseph because he looked different, he talked different, he spoke Egyptian now, not Hebrew. They had no idea they were in the presence of Joseph and Joseph said, I will send you home with food but I'm keeping Simeon and, and I want you to come back with your brother. If you want to see Simeon again, you come back with your youngest brother. Jacob was not about to let that happen. 
When the brothers return home and they, they tell Jacob, the father, about all that had happened in Egypt, Jacob was not about to let his son Benjamin go to Egypt. And you know why. Benjamin was, Benjamin was the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. Benjamin was the, the baby of the family. Jacob thought that Joseph was dead. He had no idea that Joseph was second in command in Egypt. And he was not about to let happen to Benjamin the same thing that happened to Joseph. And, and, and as we read through the story last week, it, it, it seems like Jacob was just a little bit suspicious of his sons. He suspected some foul play that on that day years earlier when he had sent Joseph out into the fields to check on his brothers and, and Joseph did not return, he kind of suspected that his, bro- that his sons might have had something to do with it. And you can understand why. His sons were some shady characters. I mean, you think about uh, the first four sons of Jacob for just a moment. We've, we've read about their stories. You think about the firstborn Reuben. Well, well, Reuben, he slept with one of Jacob's concubines. It's not a good thing, and, and, nor is it a good thing to have concubines. But that's a different sermon, right? And then you think about, you think about Simeon and Levi. Do you remember when, when Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was defiled and how Simeon and Levi led a charge to kill every man in Shechem? Wasn't good. You think about Judah, the fourth-born son. Judah was the one that, that when they were thinking about what to do with Joseph, Judah said, let's sell him into slavery. We can make some money off of him. Not only did Judah make the suggestion that they sell Joseph into slavery, but you know what else he did in Genesis chapter 38. He slept with a prostitute, not knowing that that prostitute was his daughter-in-law. It's a wild story. And so these, these four firstborn sons, these four oldest sons of, of Jacob, they don't have a very good track record. Jacob doesn't trust them. But after they've been home for a while from Egypt, it happens again. They run out of food. If they want to live, they, they have no choice. They have to go back to Egypt. So they have this conversation with their dad and it's like, we gotta go and, 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 and he's not gonna give us any food. He's not gonna give us any food unless we take Benjamin. Uh, we don't have a choice. We, we have to take Benjamin, dad. And, and so, so you have this dialogue and, and you can understand the, the, the war going on within Jacob's heart because he knows that if he doesn't send Benjamin, they're all going to die. And then all of a sudden, an unexpected hero, if you will, steps up. We, we talked about Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah, and I mean, they're not the best sons. In fact, when they came back the first time, Reuben said to his father, Jacob, if you let me take Benjamin back, and if I don't come back with him, you can kill my two sons. That's, that's a good dad right there, right? But Judah now, Judah speaks up, and look what it says in chapter 43. You come down to chapter 43, verse 8, and, and Judah says this, send the boy with me. We will be on our ways that we may live and not die. Neither we nor you nor our dependents. I will be responsible for him. You can hold me personally accountable if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. I will be guilty before you forever. If we had not delayed, we could have come back twice by now. Judah, this one who years earlier said, let's sell Joseph into slavery, now looks at his dad in the eye and he says to his dad, Jacob, I will take full responsibility for him. My life for his life. 
if something happens to him and I do not bring him back, you put all the blame and all the guilt on me. You do with me what you think you need to. And then it happens. Jacob does it. He allows his son, his favorite son, Benjamin, to go with his brothers to Egypt to get grain again. They make the journey, and, and you can imagine Benjamin's heart racing. He's, he's leaving home probably for the very first time, and, and they finally make their way to Egypt, and they find themselves yet again in the presence of Joseph. And yet again, they do not know. They don't know that this is their brother. They don't know that this is the brother they sold into slavery years earlier. And so there they are in the, the presence of Joseph, and Joseph looks out over his brothers, and he sees there's one more. Is it Benjamin? And in that moment, as Joseph is wondering if it's Benjamin, how his heart must have leapt for joy. Because if it is Benjamin, do you know what that means? If it's Benjamin, uh, that means that, that these brothers have not done to him what they did to Joseph. Remember, Joseph was at one point his daddy's favorite son. And out of envy and strife, they sold him into slavery. But they haven't done that to Benjamin. And remember, we talked about this last week. Joseph's question, the question that is in his heart and his mind is, is a simple question. Have my brothers changed? Are they the same brothers that sold me into slavery so many years ago? But now as he looks out and it's potentially Benjamin standing before him, maybe they have. Maybe they're not the same. And so, so Joseph tells his servant, take him to my house. We're gonna have a feast. And when the brothers find out that they're actually going to Joseph's house, again, they don't know it's Joseph. They just think it's a high commander in Egypt. They get real scared real fast. Because if you remember the story, when they left Egypt last time, they opened up their sacks. And when they opened up their sacks, what'd they find? Silver. The silver they had taken, it was put back in their sacks. And, and so in their mind, what this man in charge thinks about them is that they are thieves, that they had stolen the silver. They think when they go to Joseph's house, man, it's gonna be bad. He's about to, to bring down the gauntlet. He, he's about to punish them and punish them severely because he suspects them to be thieves. But look, this is so interesting. You look at, at chapter 43 and, and when they're there going to Joseph's house, they, they, they have a question or they have a conversation with a servant and they try to explain themselves. We know why we're here. We know why you brought us to Joseph's house because you think we're thieves. But, but let me tell you, we're not thieves. We didn't do it. We didn't take anything from him. In fact, we brought silver back. We brought it back to give it back to him we don't know how it got in our bags and listen to what the servant says verse 23 the steward said may you be well don't be afraid listen to this your God and the God of your father must have put treasure in your bags I received your silver imagine in that moment the confusion in the minds and hearts of those brothers what one this Egyptian servant is talking about God the God of their father, Jacob, the God of their grandfather, Isaac, the God of their great-grandfather, Abraham. What does he know about God? And then to say that God put the silver in their bags? You can imagine in that moment, they don't know what to make of, of that statement. And then Joseph comes out. 
and they begin to feast together. And it's, it's interesting what happens. And you can imagine that the confusion in the minds of the brothers, it, it just begins to heighten because Joseph sits them all down. And when he sits them all down, he sits them down by birth order. And those brothers, those Hebrew brothers, they're no doubt wondering, how does he know? How does he know our birth order? And then he separates Benjamin from them. He puts Benjamin in another part of the house and, 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 and gives Benjamin a lot more food than he gives them to eat. And I don't know why, the text doesn't tell us exactly why, but maybe, just maybe. Again, Joseph wants to know if these brothers have changed. And maybe he's just trying to stir the pot a little bit, to stir up some envy. If they see that, that Benjamin is getting special treatment, how will they respond? They return Simeon back to the brothers. This is for union. And then Joseph says, go on your way. He kept his end of the deal. They had brought back Benjamin. He releases Simeon and he fills their bags again with grain. He says, go, I've kept my end of the bargain. I saw Benjamin. In fact, at one point in the story, when he recognizes it really is Benjamin, he can hardly contain himself. He leaves the room and he goes and cries because he realizes that his brother is not dead. They had not killed him. They had not sold him into slavery. They had not treated Benjamin like they had treated him. And so he tells them, Go home. He fills their sacks with grain again. But as he's filling their sacks with grain, he tells his servant, get my cup, my silver cup, that valuable cup that I drink out of, get it and put it in Benjamin's bag. One more test for the brothers. What would they do? What would they do when it was found out that Benjamin had stolen the silver cup? Joseph is framing Benjamin. He wants to know, how will they respond? If they, if they find out that Benjamin stole the cup, right? Will they abandon him? Will they rat him out? Will they let him take the blame? What will they do? Will they walk away from Benjamin like they walked away from Joseph years earlier? So he puts the cup in Benjamin's bag and they make their way home. And as they're making their way home, Joseph turns to his servant. He says, go get him. Go get that cup. So the servant stops him along the way. Hey, one of you, you stole the cup. And the brothers speak up. Oh, no, we did not. There's no way possible. In fact, look what the text says. You come down to chapter 44 and you, and you look at verse six. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 44, verse six. When he overtook them, he said these words to them. They said to him, why does my Lord say these things? Your servants could not possibly do such a thing. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the silver at the top of our bags. How can we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If it is found with one of us, your servants, he must die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. We, we couldn't have done it. In fact, if we did, whoever's bag it's in, that one deserves to die and the rest of us should be your slaves. There's no way we did it. And they open the bags and lo and behold, the silver cup is in Benjamin's bag. What will they do? Will they put the blame on Benjamin? Will they walk away? And, and all of a sudden, they begin to have conversations. And then we'll all go be his slaves. We, we can't leave Benjamin. We'll all go be slaves to Joseph. But they're in Joseph's presence. Joseph, and again, they don't know it's Joseph. He says, no, all I want is Benjamin. The rest of you go. 
Now, what would they do? When they're standing face to face with the one who's the second in command in Egypt, and he says, no, I only want the one who's guilty. The rest of you can go. Will they walk away? Will they abandon like they had abandoned Simeon and like they had abandoned Joseph years earlier? And then Judah. Judah, the one who told his father, if I don't bring him back, you hold me responsible, Dad. He speaks up. And he speaks a long time. I'm not going to read everything he says, but I want to show you what he says at the end of chapter 44. Look at what it says. You come down to uh, verse 32 in chapter 44. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy, saying, if I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Now, listen to what he says, verse 33. Now, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave. Listen to this phrase, in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers, for how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. Judah looks square in the eye of this man who's in charge in Egypt, and he says, nope, nope, I'm staying. My life for his life. This one who years earlier had slept with a prostitute who was his daughter-in-law who years earlier walked away from Joseph after selling him into slavery. He looks at this man who's in charge and he says, no, my life for his life. And if you want to get right down to it in this moment, you know who Judah sounds a lot like? He sounds a lot like your savior. Because on the cross, Jesus essentially said the same thing. When Jesus died in your place, he said to the father, my life for their lives. And so in this moment, Judah Judah looks a lot like Jesus. And Joseph can't contain it any longer. He sends everyone out of the room and the Bible says that he's there with his brothers and he weeps and he weeps loudly that everybody can hear him crying. And look what it says, because the brothers, they, 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 the, 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 the gig's up, right? He reveals his identity to them. He says, listen, I, I'm him. I'm Joseph. I'm the one you sold into slavery. And that brought terror on them. Because now what would Joseph do? Would Joseph bring judgment? Would Joseph kill them all? I mean, that's what they deserve for how they treated him. But listen, listen, we read it, but listen again what he says. They are terrified in his presence. But Joseph says what? Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me because God has sent me here. He looks at his brothers and says, guys, don't be scared. Don't be sad. Don't be angry. I forgive you. It's okay. God sent me here. I know you sold me into slavery. I I get that. But at the end of the day, God was at work in it all. And, and, and God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, to, to, to save you. God has done this. Joseph knows that every step of the way that God has been with him, every step of the way God has been working out his plan. And my friend, let me tell you, when you know God's in charge, when you know God is ordering your steps, when you know God is in control, you can be content in every situation life throws at you. So how do you know? Three ways. Listen, here's way number one. You know you're content. You know you're content when, going to the first slide if you don't mind, you know you're content when you have the right perspective of life. 
And that's simple, I know, but just, just think about what Joseph says. And we're not going to do this now, but I challenge you to go home this afternoon and just read through Genesis 45 and count the number of times that Joseph refers to God. God sent me. God did this. God, God, God. Ultimately, God is in control of it all. You see? Perspective. Joseph had a Godward perspective of life. He knew that God was in control of every situation and every circumstance of his life. And the question for you is, do you? Do you have that same kind of Godward perspective of life that no matter what life throws at you, you know that God is in control, that he's in charge of every little detail of your life. You see, when you have a Godward perspective of life, you know what? You know one, that he wastes nothing. That, 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 that your suffering, your hardships, your struggles, They're not for nothing. God is at work even in those things. He wastes nothing. But not only does God not waste anything, God is forming your character in every situation of life, is he not? I mean, you think about Joseph's story and what we've seen over and over again in his story. We've seen this consistent growth in character. He's faithful. He's a man of integrity. God continues to build his character, right? And I know you've heard me say this before and I've probably said it multiple times, but but let me tell you just again to remind you, God is far far more concerned with who you are becoming in him than what you are doing for him. Because when you are becoming the person that God wants you to be, you will do the things that God wants you to do. God is concerned about your walk with him. He's concerned about your Christ-like character. And God uses the situations and circumstances of our lives. You know this, God told you this a million times and you know it from experience. He uses those things to form your character or think about this. God is always accomplishing his purpose, his mission through you. Not for one second did Joseph being thrown into prison throw God off guard. Not for one second did Joseph being sold into slavery throw God off guard. No, every step of the way, God was accomplishing his mission. And Joseph knows it. Joseph can look back over his life with a God word perspective and he can say, God is in control of it all. And I just want you to hear this very carefully. I don't know if you've thought about this before or not, but just listen carefully to this. Your loyalty will always determine your perspective of life. Let me explain what I mean by that. I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a little college football game Monday night. And I'm sure you probably knew that I was not going to get through a message without talking about Georgia. When I was in seminary, um, I had a professor, and, and he told us in class one time, this seminary professor, he said, from the stage, from the pulpit, a preacher should never talk about football. He was obviously a Carolina Gamecock fan. So, so I don't know if you watched the game on Monday night or not. I mean, I, I had to take Hudson to basketball practice. And so after basketball practice, I rushed home to, to watch the game. And, and those first three quarters, I'm like, man, history is going to repeat itself, right? That Georgia is going to lose to Alabama for the 20th time in the last three years. Like it's going to happen again. But then what happened? The fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, everything changed. And by the end of the fourth quarter, Georgia, for the first time in 41 years, they are the national champions. And I don't know about you, but what I enjoyed about the game was just watching the response of the fans, right? So you think about watching the response of the the Alabama fans. And I know some of you here are Alabama fans. Oh, I'm sorry you're sad. Not really, but, but, but it's fun, right? 
to, to see and you know, to see them just in agony and defeat. I mean, what, what a joy to see someone suffer and lose, right? Or think about this. You think about the Georgia fans, the, the escalation. And just to, to watch on the screen the different reactions between the Alabama fans and the Georgia fans. And it all boiled down to what? A matter of perspective. You know what I'm saying? Because on the, the, the gridiron, on the field, the same game took place. There was one game. And at the end of the game, there was one score. There was one winner. And you left that stadium that night either happy or sad based on your perspective of what happened. If you left as an Alabama fan, you left what? With a perspective of this night was terrible. But if you were a Georgia fan, you left that stadium, this is one of the greatest nights of our lives. Perspective. Loyalty determines perspective. Alabama fans, loyal to Alabama. And so their perspective on Monday night was, this is a bad night. Georgia fans, loyal to Georgia. Our perspective was, this is an awesome night, right? Think about it. 41 years ago, 1980, I was two years old when Georgia won a national championship. Over the course of my life, I don't remember that. Every season, what have I been used to? Disappointment. I felt a lot like a Gamecock fan a lot of years, right? Disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. But what, but what never happened? I never changed my loyalty. I was willing for 40 years of my life after 1980 to continue to be loyal to a team that constantly let me down. Listen, I have chosen to be loyal to a team that over the years has let me down, right? If you're a Gamecock fan, you know what I mean right? But, but, but I tell you th- that to tell you this. It was never a question. I never said I'm going to change my loyalty. But, but here's the question. Why do we have such a hard time being loyal to God when we know that He will never let us down? When we know that He is faithful? You, you regularly give your loyalty to a world that will constantly fail you that will constantly let you down, that will constantly lead you to heartbreak and loss. Why not give your loyalty to a God who never fails you? And when you understand that God will never fail you, right, that does, it changes your perspective. And when you have that Godward perspective, you can always live with contentment because you know that your loyalty is to one who is always faithful to you. Do you see? Contempt people, contempt people, know how to look at life from the right perspective. But let me show you this other truth. Content people will live out their God-given purpose. Now, I, I understand this. I mean, we talk about purpose all the time. And we all want to know what's our purpose, what's God's will for our lives. And, and let me just remind you that when Joseph was in Canaan with his dad, and if Joseph had the opportunity to write out his life story, he would not have written it like this. It's not the story he would have composed for himself. But it was the story God composed. God has specific purpose for Joseph. For Joseph, he understood his purpose. He didn't understand it was going to take him to Egypt. But Joseph understood that his purpose in life was what? To live for the glory of God, no matter what that looks like. You don't know all the twists and turns your life is going to take. 
You don't know the end of your story. You don't know where God's going to place you. You don't know how God's going to use you. There are a lot of unanswered questions in your life. But here's the question that has been answered for you. What God's desire for your life is, is that you live by faith and you give him glory in every season, in every circumstance, and in every area of your life. That is his will for your life. And what we see through Joseph's story is he constantly does that. Did you notice how many times through the story people noticed that God was with Joseph. Again, this is not the life that Joseph had imagined for himself, but at every turn, he walks by faith and people see that God is with him. Whether it was Potiphar, whether it was the, the, the prison guard, whether it was the, uh, the, the, the baker or the cupbearer, Pharaoh himself, they recognized that God was with Joseph. Why? Because Joseph never lost sight of his purpose. His purpose was what? To simply live in obedience to God. That's your purpose, to obey God. That's it, to live for his glory. That's it. That's why God has left you on this earth, to glorify him through your obedience to his word, you see? And when you know that, when you know that purpose, it motivates forgiveness. Because as you live out your purpose to live for his glory, there are gonna be people that hurt you. There are gonna be people who mistreat you. But because you know that God is in charge and he even uses the hurt of your life for his glory, you can always say to somebody else, I know you meant it toward me for evil, but God meant it for good. I forgive you. You see, content people, content people look at life from the right perspective and content people understand their purpose to obey, to live for the glory of God, you see? But also, let me show you this and we're done. Content people, watch this, will glory in God's plan. This is interesting to me. Again, when Joseph was thinking about his future, what he wanted out of life, he probably wasn't thinking about being a slave in Potiphar's house. He wasn't thinking about being a prisoner. He wasn't thinking about being second in command in Egypt, but that was God's plan. Joseph's story is fascinating to me. We've been in Genesis now for a very long time, getting closer and closer to the end. But for months now, we've been studying this book. We've looked at the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph. And did you know this? Joseph's story in the book of Genesis is given more attention than any other of the characters in the book of Genesis. Just by the amount of space, words written, there's more words written about Joseph's story than Abraham's story. Abraham, the, the father of the Jewish faith, right? More words written about Joseph than Abraham. About Isaac, there's not much written about Isaac at all, just a couple of chapters. Jacob, the one who is ultimately named Israel, the namesake for the nation of Israel, he doesn't get as much attention as his favorite son, Joseph. And what's also interesting to me is after the book of Genesis, once you get into Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and so forth, outside of the book of Genesis, you really don't hear much about Joseph anymore. I mean, go home, just do it yourself. Go home this afternoon and get your Bible out and turn through it and find throughout Scripture, outside of the book of Genesis, how many times Joseph is mentioned. Not many. So a few references here and there, but... Outside of Genesis, you don't hear much about him. It's as if Joseph is forgotten. And then when you read the book of Exodus, that opening chapter, you find out he really was forgotten. 
That, that generations later, after the Hebrews had been enslaved, there, there, there was a Pharaoh who did not know about Joseph. That is mind boggling. Joseph literally saved Egypt. But down the line, there's a Pharaoh that comes in the power. He ain't got a clue who Joseph was. He ain't got a clue that generations earlier, Joseph had saved his nation. Outside of Genesis, Joseph is forgotten. He's not the hero of the story. But you know who's not forgotten? Judah. Isn't that wild? This man who took charge in selling Joseph into slavery. Uh, this man, right? This man who, who um, committed that heinous sin with his daughter-in-law. This man, he's not forgotten outside of Genesis. He's referred to a lot. In fact, Jesus, your Savior, comes from the lineage, not of Joseph, but Judah. And oftentimes in the Bible, you'll find Jesus referred to as what church? The Lion of Judah. Isn't that wild? That, that God is going to take a broken man like Judah and, and God is going to bring forth his Messiah, the Savior of the world, not through Joseph. Joseph's forgotten. He's going to bring forth his Messiah through Judah. Because ultimately, this story that we're reading in Genesis chapter 37 to the end of the book is not Joseph's story. He's not the hero. And while Judah has a heroic moment in the story, he's not really the hero either. God is. God is the hero who brought the people into Egypt to save them from death, who will allow them to go into slavery so eventually he can bring them out of, of Egypt to save them, to put them in a promised land where they would flourish so that one day, from the nation of Israel would come a Savior, Christ Jesus, who would go to a cross and die in the place of sinful people, the perfect God-man, going to a cross, saying to the Heavenly Father, my life for their life. I'll take the punishment. I'll take the blame. I'll bear the guilt of their sins and would die the death that you and I deserve because of our rebellion against a holy God. And then three days later would rise from the dead victoriously so that we might have life abundant and eternal so all of our sins might be forgiven and we could spend forever with the God who loves us. You see, God ultimately is the hero of the story. And this is so good because you know what this means for you and me? That you and I, we can live to be forgotten. That's a big deal. Life's not about you. It's about the God who loves you, who gave his son Jesus for you. You know what this means for you? We've said this before. Some of your grandparents, some of you will be grandparents. Your grandchildren are gonna know you and love you. If you're lucky in this life, you might get to know your great-grandchildren. If you're very lucky, you might get to know your great-great-grandchildren. But your great-great-great-grandchildren, they ain't gonna have a clue who you were. And it's likely they will never know your name. You'll be forgotten. But that's okay. Because by the way you live out your faith now, the way that you, you raise your children, the way you love your wife, you love your husband, the way you serve your church, uh, the way you live on mission, it might be that generations from now, your name is forgotten. But because of your influence, because of the way that you've lived 
by faith. It could be several generations from now, your great, great, great grandchildren will know maybe not your name, but they'll know the name of Jesus because of the way that you live your life right now, you see? It's not about you. It's not about your name being remembered. It's about the King of kings and Lord of lords being glorified in your life in such a way that generations from now, your family knows Christ because of your influence right now. Do you see? When I know that, I can be content. That my simple faith, daily loving my wife and loving my kids, daily pastoring the people that God has given me to shepherd, knowing that in this church, 100 years from now, nobody will know Pastor Tommy. That's okay. Because they'll know Jesus. As we serve together, as we glorify him together, as we live on mission together, people in North Charleston might not ever know your name. But because of the way you share your faith on a daily basis, they'll know the name of Jesus. Do you see? Oh, you can be content in that. Content people know that life's ultimately not about them. It's about the one who came and lived and died and rose again. That's the kind of perspective you need. And that reminder of your purpose, simply to live out the will of God wherever he places you, that brings contentment. And glorying in that plan of God that you might be forgotten so that Christ might forever be remembered. Oh, my friend, you can find contentment in that plan. Don't be loyal to a world that's going to constantly fail you. Be loyal to a God who will constantly give you contentment, real contentment. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you've never placed your faith in the one who lived his life for you, died for you, and then rose again for you. Maybe you're watching online and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus. Today is your day to be saved, to experience salvation in Christ Jesus. If you're in this room or watching online, we want you to trust Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, to know there is a God who loves you, gave his son for you. In the corners of this room, there are a couple of crosses. I would just encourage you today, if you want to place your faith in Jesus, turning from your sin and giving your life to him, I want to encourage you to go to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there who's ready to pray for you, ready to help you begin a relationship with Jesus. Pastor Trey's going to come down front. He'll be here as well. You can come and, and talk with him. He'd love to pray with you this morning. Maybe you're here in this room. You're a follower of Jesus, but you've lost some of your contentment. And maybe this morning as a follower of Jesus, the God of all creation is saying, listen, remember, contentment is found in me. And maybe this morning you just want to come and confess your sin, your sin of lack of contentment in him and ask him to help you once again to find real satisfaction in your relationship with him. However, God is leading you this morning. You respond to his voice. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time together in your word. Thank you that you're good, you're holy, you're gracious, you're kind. Father, in this room, if there's a person who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray today that person would come trusting you as Lord. If there's someone watching online who's never experienced the gift of salvation, I pray today will be the day that they are forever changed. So Father, have your way now, I ask, in these final moments. And we find contentment, joy, and satisfaction in the name that is above every name. The name that will always be glorified. The name that will always be called holy. The name of Jesus. Father, you've spoken to us this morning. Now we're responding to your voice by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You can rise to your feet as a time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.